what we have going on. Thanks for being here. We're in John chapter four this morning, as Lila Kate read to us uh, in John chapter four. So we're moving into a new chapter today. We're moving into a new passage, and uh, I am excited uh, because we're going to see a new character uh, on display in this text. And I don't know about you guys, but I can recount numerous times when uh, I've been out with our family or we've, we've been grocery shopping, grabbing a bite to eat, or maybe been at an event and someone walks by who I would say has celebrity status. Now, I can tell you uh, who I would say has celebrity status and who you would say has celebrity status may be completely different, all right? And, and, and so, I, but, but, but Utah's home to some celebrities, like some people that I would say like, hey, they're, they're well-known people, they're people of fame. And these are, I'll, I'll give you a few. These are people I regularly run into. Now, I don't have a conversation. I'm not one of those guys who's like tracking them down, following them around in the grocery store or anything. But I see them from a distance. And if, if I'm with my kids or family, I'm like, hey, do you know who that is? And I'll point them out, right? And so uh, you might not know, Mike Weir. Who knows the name Mike Weir? All right, there's like four of you. Great, all right, that's awesome. One of the major golf championships in the world is called the Masters, all right? And Mike Weir won in 2003, first Canadian to ever win the, the, the championship uh, for the Masters, all right? 2003, Mike Weir lives right here in Sandy, all right? Like if you go up, Towards Draper, kind of up on top by the golf course up there, there's like Mike, there's a street named after him, right? And so you'll be in Whole Foods and hey, there goes Mike Weir. Like, that's awesome, man. He won the Masters. That's pretty incredible, right? Uh, anybody know the name Chris Spieler? All right. Yep. No one, right? Here's the thing. One of the first ever CrossFit Games athletes, like I said, right? Who I think has celebrity status and who you, probably different. But I mean, we'll be in Chipotle and I'll be like, there's Chris Spieler. He's one of the first, like CrossFit, when, when CrossFit began and they had the first games at the ranch in California and it was like just a dirt field and he was there and he started CrossFit Park City and he, you'll see him around town. Um, Kyle Whittingham, who knows that name? All right, a few, a few more, all right. So if you just moved to Utah, you got to get to know that name, all right? Like he coaches the Utes, right? And so Kyle Whittingham, like he lives here in Sandy. And you're like, man, so you, you could run into him from time to time. And, and I'll point out the kids like, hey, he's, he, he leads the Utes football team. Check that out. It's pretty awesome, right? All right. How many of you know the name Monica Z? All right. Mayor of Sandy. All right. Uh, we, were, we were at the Balloon Festival like a few weeks ago at Sandy Center and my, my kids decided that they were gonna, there was like a DJ out there and decided that they were gonna start a conga line. And so our kids led that and Monica Z, the mayor of Sandy, jumped in the conga line. And so I go, hey Jackson, the mayor of Sandy was following you around in the conga line. Like I'm, I'm pointing out like, that's awesome, man, right? Like she was jumping in your conga line. This is, this is pretty awesome. So there, there's these people of fame, people, like I said, maybe not celebrity status to you, but we point them out. It's kind of fun to point them out. I point out to our kids, this is, this is who they are, but they wouldn't have a clue if I wouldn't have pointed out, like, this is who they are. They're just an ordinary person. They look like everybody else, just normal guy, normal woman. And uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus Ask the disciples, who, who do people say that I am? Like when you, when you think about like Jesus traveling through the city and Jesus going into the grocery store, walking into 7-Eleven, like how, how do people figure out like who, who's Jesus? Who, who do people, do people point out who he is? And it says in verse 13 in Matthew chapter 16, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the, the disciples, who do people say, the son of man is. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to him, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood. There, there wasn't another human that pointed out, like, this, this is the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, uh, another human being didn't point that out to you. Now, when we look back and we look at the story and we're kind of following along in John, we're like, I thought that's what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist went. He was the forerunner to Jesus. He pointed out Jesus. Absolutely. But it was God who would work and God who would ordain these moments. And it was God who would reveal the true identity of Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying in Matthew chapter 16 that Peter had been revealed the identity of Jesus because God showed him. Like, a person didn't reveal Jesus to Peter, God the Father did. And what I do with my kids is I point out the identity of people, right? Like, hey, that's so-and-so. And, and what I want to do this morning and what I know is impossible for me because we, flesh and blood, cannot reveal this to you. The Father who is in heaven has to reveal. I'm hoping and praying that the blinders that, that are keeping you from seeing who Jesus is, that this morning that, that God the Father would remove that blindness and would give you eyes that can truly see, that can see who God in Jesus truly is. And, that, and that's what I honestly, I think John is seeking to do. The author of our book, John is seeking to show us and, and point us and help us see Here's Jesus, and we can't do that effectively without God. God helps us see, and, and, and hopefully this morning we get to see who Jesus is, that Jesus would be revealed to us this morning. There's an interesting passage uh, that stuck out to me in John chapter four that I don't know that I've ever focused on. And so this sermon may be different than you've ever heard. If you've been in church for a little while, you've grown up, you've heard the story of the, the woman of Samaria, and maybe you, you looked upon you know, her and like her questionable past, and, and this has kind of been the journey that, that you've followed and you've heard that taught. And, and here's what I would tell you is that this story is not meant to draw us to the attention of this woman, because in reality, you're going to see this morning, we are all this woman. We are all the, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual needs that she's experiencing are ones that all of us in this room face on a daily basis. And I think while the last chapter in John chapter three, we see Nicodemus, Nicodemus is given a name because he appears in the story multiple times. We're gonna see him, I think in John chapter seven, we're gonna see him in John chapter 19. Uh, but here, this woman is just a character that is, is given and, and ultimately it gives us a portrait into who is Jesus. And verse 10 is kind of this, this passage that stuck out to me that I don't know that I've always focused on when I've read this text. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, if you knew the gift of God, did you know there's people here in our room this morning and you walked in and you don't know the gift of God? You don't know the gift of God. You don't know the gift of God. There are people who are followers of Jesus who have forgotten the gift of God. We need to know the gift of God and we need to know who it is that is offering it to us. What is the gift? What is the gift that is offered? We wanna know, we wanna know, we wanna know. And so, so many sermons have focused on this woman and I hope to turn your attention to see Jesus this morning. I think that's the focus that John writes this morning is, is the focus to help us see Jesus. One commentator said this, with each character in John's gospel, we have mirrors in which to see Jesus from another angle, right? Like, have, have you ever, if you've ever been to like a formal clothing store and you're purchasing a suit or dress, they have like those full length trifold mirrors. Like you know you're putting on like something really nice when they got these mirrors, right? And you stand there and, and you look in the mirror and it's, it's kind of trifold and you're like, hey, I've never seen myself from this angle, right? Never, never knew that's what my ear looked like, right? Because you can't like look in the mirror and see your ear. But now that you got this trifold situation, it gives you a different angle by which you're seeing. And what John is doing in this text is he's positioning Jesus in the, in the trifold mirror of men's warehouse, okay? 
to give us better ability to, to see him from an angle that we, we may have not known. And that's what he keeps doing. He, he keeps giving us a different perspective. The, the diamond, we keep seeing a different facet of Jesus and the diamond just keeps turning. And so um, our hope this morning is that we would see Jesus and that it would have profound implications in our life, okay? So here's point one. Point one, I just wanna start with the setting of John 4. We need to understand what's going on here and kind of why this situation, what's at play here? What is Jesus doing? And it's important to know the setting. What we're gonna see is, is Jesus is gonna cross all barriers. And if, I know that there's been a lot of commentating of going like, hey, like, no, this, there really wasn't this, uh, this barrier that existed between Jews, but she comments on the barrier. She's like, Jews, like, how, how, why would a Jew like ask for, for a Samaritan and Jews don't associate with Samaritan? She sees all the barriers. You a man, I'm a woman. Like she sees all these barriers at play. And it's important that we kind of understand where we're going here. For what, verse one through six, it says, now when Jesus learned, and, and this is kind of where the story kind of transitions, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, John kind of adds that in. And you ask, like, why, why is that added in? Well, because I think it just goes back to the people who were kind of trying to stir disunity last week and who came to John the Baptist and were saying like, hey, everybody's going to that guy and he's baptizing him. And it was kind of an exaggeration. And here John was like, hey, they were blowing that way out of proportion. And just so you know, like I, word is getting out. And, and, and there may be a few reasons as to why he felt like he needed to leave. And I'll get to those in a few minutes. But one reason may be just like controversy began to stir and he knew his time hasn't come. Like his hour's not there. The Pharisees are kind of getting word. It's starting to, to kind of cause a commotion. And he's like, look, I'm gonna kind of lead behind the scenes right now and we're, we need to depart. But it also said that he had a meeting, that he had to pass through Samaria. And the question is, is geographically, does he have to pass through Samaria? No, and the reality is, is most Jews and Samaritans, I'll, I'll explain why here in just a few moments, uh, there, there was just a major barrier. There was major relational, racial tension um, that, that many people who were going from Judea to Galilee, even though it was kind of a straight shot to go through Samaria, many would take three days to even a week's journey to go around Samaria just because they were such a despised people. But here it says that he had to. Now, again, we're not given, we're, we're kind of speculating here, but why did he have to pass through Samaria? Is there, is there a specific purpose? Does Jesus have a, a purpose? Is there someone he wants to pursue? Is there something he has to proclaim? Is there there's some reason? What, what is it? Is there a divine purpose? He says that he only does what God the Father tells him to. And so God must have instructed him, you, you gotta pass through Samaria. This is part of the appointment that I have for you. And so it says he had to pass through Samaria and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey. And this is the first time we see some of that humanity of Jesus, that he's tired, that he's, he's thirsty and he sits down and he was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we see in this that, that Jesus is, is departing, he's leaving, and he comes to a well and he sits. It's the sixth hour, which means it's approximately around noon, six hours after sunrise. What does he find? Where, where, where's he headed? And that's where I think it's important for us to know kind of the, the history of Samaria and kind of what's, what's taking place here. So the Assyrians, Babylonian empire, like they, they captured Northern Israel. And 
what, what happened in that time is that they basically departed all the Israelites and deported all the Israelites from that northern Israel, kind of the, the northern kingdom. And they kind of settled the land with foreigners, okay? And so, and then they had other Israelites who were there and they intermarried. And, and so you have Israelites and uh, the, these other foreigners that they kind of planted and, and put into the land. And then they begin to intermarry and you, you ultimately end up forming a new religion. And because they were kind of adopting and picking, choosing from different beliefs and different times, they, they, they chose to only believe the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And, and they began to, their, their worship and their practices were very cult-like. And Jews returning to their homeland, they, they viewed the Samaritans as uh, political rebels, but also just a, a lower class of people, very despised. And so you have ethnic, racial, religious issues at play. Um, the Samaritans refused to worship at the Jerusalem temple. And so they, they built their own on Mount Gerizim and 400 years before Christ. And tensions kind of grew even more tense when uh, the Jews decided to uh, burn it down. And, and so it, it's a lot of hostility, a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. And I, if I'm, I'm trying, I want you to understand kind of the, the picture. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And this can probably remind you and point you back to a very terrible time in our own history where uh, life as we know it was segregated by the color of your skin, the bathrooms that you use or the water fountain that you go to. This is kind of what's at play here. When she asked, Jesus asked her for a drink to, she's like, you don't have a utensil. You don't want to drink after, we're not sharing utensils here. It's just a very, just barriers. And this is where Jesus enters in. And I think there's a lot that it, it speaks to us um, because this woman, she points out all the barriers, right? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? We, we see the, the disunity that exists. And here's what I, again, to paint a picture of Jesus, that's what we're trying to do today. Jesus is for all people, for all people. He'll cross geographical barriers, social barriers, gender barriers, socioeconomic barriers, racial barriers. Jesus is for all people. And you and I know that there are barriers that exist in our culture today. There are places we don't go. There's people we don't associate with. And I, I, I just want to paint a picture of Jesus for us, that Jesus is willing to cross all barriers and all social norms to bring all people to see the gift of salvation. Uh, I, my mind is, is drawn back even to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved, and what we talked about when we hit that passage is, he so loved the other the thing that was totally unlike him. He so loved the other. He so loved the world. And it's meant to paint a picture of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, but he would love them. Even though there's a vast difference between God and the world, he would love them. Love them to the point that he would be willing to send his son. And verse 42 of John chapter four, it tells us, and this is key to know, he is savior of the world, the world. And the world there means all people, all races, all places. It's, it's not like he's not God of America. He is the savior of the world. He has come for all people. And so Jesus sets an example for all of us when it comes to stepping out of our comfort zones, right? Like he, he was out to shatter 
stereotypes and any suspicion that he was the savior of all men and women. And think about Jesus, how easy it would just be um, knowing what he's going to face, knowing the persecution that he's going to experience, knowing the conversations, knowing what's ahead of him, how easy it would be just to stick to what is familiar and associate with people who are like him. I think about it in our lives, how easy it is to just stick what is familiar and associate with people who are like us. But Jesus stepped out of his social circle. And I think it's an example to us that we need to identify the barriers that divide us and start building bridges to a lost world by showing them the unconditional love of Jesus. This is the setting. This is the setting that Jesus steps in. Now I want to talk about the Samaritan of John 4. Verse 7 through 9, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so this woman is presented uh, with a man who has a need and ask, give me something to drink. And she's kind of taken back by this. She's pretty shocked by his request. And I, I'm just kind of blown away when I listen to this story because I just, this woman woke up that morning, headed to the well about noon, had no idea who she was going to meet there, right? And that's, I, I'm praying that today. Some of you woke up this morning and you got out of bed and for some reason, you decided to come hang out with us for the morning and you had no idea who you'd meet. And this morning she, she walks up, she recognizes him as a Jew. And it's important because I'm gonna point out in just a few moments how his name changes as the story moves further. She doesn't know his true identity, but she comes and she meets Jesus. Now, while Jesus is the one who postures himself as the person with the need, in reality, we're seeing that she has a need. There's a reason why she came to that well this morning. She needs water, right? All of us need water. Water sustains life. We can't live without water. And so here she is. She has a physical need that she needs met. But interesting is we, we find out that there's much more beyond just that physical need. There's spiritual, there's emotional needs that this woman has. And reality is all of us in this room have these needs. We experience these needs. And I find it interesting that, that it's represented in this story that it's a well, right? And this would be, be significant in Jesus' day. Like they didn't have a faucet hooked that you couldn't go to the tap and you know, turn it on. Like you had to travel to go to a well. And typically there would be wells in the city and they would be closer, uh, but she chooses to go outside of the city. We might speculate, maybe it's because she doesn't want to associate. Maybe because she's been the end of all the jokes of the, you know, going to the local watering hole. Whatever it is, she chooses to go outside the city. She meets Jesus and she's going there because she has a need that needs to be met. And I think for all of us, right? All of us, we all are looking for wells in life to provide deep needs in our life. All of us. All of us are like this woman. All of us have wells that we are seeking, that we are looking for, that are, we, are, we are longing to supply. And we're asking more of these wells than what they can truly supply. In Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, it says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And what he's describing here is, is this idea of digging wells for ourselves. How often we dig wells, those wells that we're looking to, to provide physical needs, 
social needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. We're, we're all looking for, for, for these wells to supply these things. And, and to her knowledge, she hadn't rejected living water. She, didn't, she was just, in many ways, all we know in the story, she was perfectly satisfied with the water. And I love that because we can be per- perfectly satisfied with our lives and God comes in the, in the name of Jesus to offer us more. Like we didn't have any clue. We don't know. She could have been completely satisfied. This well meets this physical need. She wasn't looking for anything more from this well, but she comes and she finds the well of life that gives her so much more. And I'm going, wow, like I, that's what I want. I, I go, how easy it is. I find satisfaction in the wells of this world. And there's, I go, there's nothing wrong with these. They satisfy momentarily. They meet needs. They quench my thirst for the moment. It just won't satisfy forever, right? He who drinks of it will be thirsty again. But he offers us a well that will truly satisfy. He's offering her her something in this. This woman who has needs just like us. And he's offering her more. How many of us are going to the well of approval? We're insecure, we're discontent with ourselves, we're seeking the approval of others to, to feel validated. Hey guys, front row here. Can you be quiet for me? Thank you. As Tim Keller explains, he says, uh, this, this desire for approval is actually a righteous desire because the desire is, it's righteous, meaning I, I have passed the inspection of the eyes of a significant other. And what we truly long for is God to inspect our lives and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's a, there's a, it's a righteous hunger, but it's meant to be found in Jesus, the well of approval, the well of appearance. We, we say to ourselves, I'll, I'll finally be happy when I fix this about myself. And again, like we, we see that we've been made in the image of God, that we have intrinsic value and worth because who he created us to be and the well of materialism. If, if only I had this, then my thirst would go away. And we've all bought into that, right? The well of happiness, we're, we're just out for pleasure seeking purposes, right? There's always something else to buy. There's always something else to replace. There's always something better than the one you currently have. Like, did you know, like, originally light bulbs lasted forever? And then they're like, well, if, if light bulbs last forever, then no one's ever going to buy another light bulb. So they made, like, a standard that you could only, like, a light bulb could only run so many. And if you broke that, you were fined. And now, you know, like, there's always a new car. And it's got a new gadget and a new tool and a new way. Like, the, the radio does something specific. You know, all these little things that are just meant to, like, if I have that, it, it'll make me happy. We, we go to the well of happiness. We go to the well of purpose. Once I discover what I am to do in life, then I'm, I, it's going to be golden, right? Like it's going to be good. I love Kevin DeYoung's because I think so many of us are looking for this. Like we're, we're out like trying to figure out what is my purpose in life and we're trying to seek it. I love what he says. He says, so the end of the matter is this, live for God, obey the scriptures, think of others before yourself, be holy, love Jesus. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like with whomever else you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. Anybody feel like that's freeing? And we're like, man, if I, if I just find my purpose, I'm a, it's been defined. The well of significance, that's what we looked to last week. I think that's why John the Baptist's disciples were trying to link up. Like, he's got a platform. I, I, wanna, I wanna be a part of his, his group, his posse. Like, if John the Baptist, like, you, you got a platform, sir. Like, I, wa- I wanna attach myself to what you're doing and I, I wanna hitch my wagon right? Like this is where I want to go with you. And so we look for the well of significance, the well of love. 
Man, if I just find love. You know what's interesting about wells? Check this out. Um, wife for Isaac, it was found at a well. All right, Moses fled to Midian and at, at, a, at the well, he met the daughters of Jethro. One of those became his wife. Like, here's the deal. If you're single in the room, we just gotta find a well, right? And you're like, hey, pastor, tell me where that well is. That will be, that's in our next sermon. Like we all, like, it's okay. Like we have that desire. We wanna be loved. We wanna be in a relationship. Jesus is offering this. And, and we could go on and on. We just mentioned these wells. These are just a few of the places that we go seeking something to meet these needs. But I want you to know that every well is an opportunity to point us to Jesus. These desires aren't wrong. You were given these desires though for Jesus to meet. You are the creation of God. You've been made in the image of God, which means you have eternity in your heart which means nothing temporary will ever satisfy. It's temporary. Every well is an opportunity to meet Jesus, to find Jesus. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our, our desires are meant, they, they are put in us. They are present in us so that we would hunger and long so that we would never, if we find satisfaction in that thing and it lasts forever, then we're done. But he's, he's created in you a desire and a heart for eternity and you will not find it until you meet the one who is eternal. I hope you see this. I hope you see this. I hope you see how we're just like her. We're just like the woman of Samaria. We all have needs. We all need forgiveness. We all need the well that Jesus offers. Point number three, the saying of John 4. And that's where I focus in on this verse in verse 10. We see kind of the setting. We see Jesus crossing all barriers. We see this woman who comes seeking to meet a physical need and Jesus is gonna meet them all. And then we see this, this saying, if you knew. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew, if you knew. And I, I just go, where am I ignorant? Where am I ignorant on the full identity and gift of Jesus? The question for me is I go, I, I get that this woman is not a follower of Jesus in this moment. But I, I know myself well enough that I look and I go, in what areas am I not truly knowing and, and fully, in what areas am I living ignorant to the full identity of who he is and what he offers? But then I also look and I go, how many people in our city just don't know? They don't know. If you knew, if you knew the gift of God, I go, man, if my neighbors knew the gift of God, if the people that we worked with knew the gift of God, if the, the people that we go to school with, if they knew the gift of God and who it was, they would have asked him. And so a condition to being a follower of Jesus is knowing that there's a gift and ultimately to receive that gift, you gotta know that you have a need, that we have a need and that there's a gift that's offered and who it is that's offering it. And I ask for it give it to me, give it to me. Did you know like that, that's the simplicity of what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus is to know the gift, to know who it is that, that offers it and to ask him, give it to me. But I also go, it, it's not just what it means to become a Christian, but also what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, Understanding this passage, I, I recognize how often I don't know and how I don't believe that there's a gift to be offered and how I don't ask, right? Like we gotta continue to know the gift and the giver because when we fail to see the gift, what do we do? We look for gifts elsewhere. When we fail to see the gift that is offered to us in the well of Jesus, we go to other wells. We start trying to fill and satisfy that those needs in our life with, from other wells, right? So we fail to see the gift. 
And when we fail to see the gift, we, we try to meet those needs apart from God, right? So how many of us have areas of our life right now that we would say, there's areas I need. I've been, I've been trying to gain water from this broken cistern. I've been, trying to, I've been going to this well trying to get water for life, but I've failed to see the giver of life and who it was that offered. Jesus is telling us it's found in him. If you knew the gift and who it was who offered it to you, you would have asked. You would have asked. So I'm wondering, because I, I think about this idea of asking and I think about just the posture of our prayer life. And I go, I wonder if the lack of, of, of prayer when it comes to us as followers of Jesus has to do with us not knowing the gift of God and not knowing the one who it is. And so when we don't know the gift of God and we don't know who it is that's offered to us, we don't ask. And so when we offer, like, hey, we, we have people who are ready to pray for you. I, I said, hey, do we know the gift of God? Do we know that he is superior, that he is above all? This is John chapter three, the last week, that, that he is above all, that everything we have been given, this stuck out to us in our community group, has been given to us by God the Father. There is nothing that we have not received that has not come from his hands. And so if, if that's true, and he owns all things and has authority over all things, then why in the world would we not ask? Well, that we would, unless we fail to see the gift and we fail to see the giver. John Calvin says this, if our prayers be addressed to him, then they will not be fruitless. And indeed, without this confidence, the confidence of this passage, that, that we don't know who he is, and we don't know what he offers, it says the earnestness of prayer would be entirely cooled. But why is our prayers not cooled? Why do we keep praying as a church? Because we know the gift and we know the giver. And if we know the gift and we know the giver, then we're gonna ask and we're gonna keep asking. And we're gonna beg and plead, give me this water. Give me this water. Give me this water. And what you're gonna see in this woman's life is she's coming to know the true identity of Jesus. In, in this journey, if you look through the passage, and I, I think I have it on the screen, the different names that she calls Jesus. Look at this journey that she's on because she comes to know. She comes to know who it is that's offering this. It starts with Jesus, Jew, Sir, Lord, Prophet, Messiah, Christ, I am, Rabbi, Savior of the world. We see this journey, and this is the journey of faith. This is the journey of someone coming to see the true identity of Jesus. She's coming to see who it is that truly can offer her this type of water. So if that's true, why wouldn't you ask? Why wouldn't you ask? What are we failing to ask? What are we failing to come to him to see, to satisfy, to meet? Because we fail to see the gift and we fail to see the giver. The last thing is this, point four, the supply of John four. He's the source. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And you is emphasized, like, are you greater? And like, oh man, she doesn't even know. She doesn't know who she's meeting with here. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she said, she asked, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here. Now, obviously she's confused between the physical and spiritual, just like Nicodemus was confused between the idea of being born again, and the idea of like having to climb back in his mother's womb and like this journey. And so this idea, like our, our minds aren't open to the way in which Jesus meets these spiritual needs. But what we see in this is he says he offers a well 
meaning it's not a stagnant like water source. It's never ending. A well is always producing. It's always producing. It's always producing. And those who are followers of Jesus have this wellspring of life in our life. And what I love is Charles Spurgeon says there's seven attributes of water that, that also describe the grace of God that's been given to us. And I think, don't we have them? Like, yeah, there they are. You can take a picture. They're thirst removing, life preserving, filth. Pre- so like, what does water do, right? It removes our thirst. It preserves our life. It cleanses us. It softens things. It makes things pliable, right? It puts out fires. It's spring creating. When, we, when you have that, that flow of water in your life, like it gives life. It's fruit producing. It produces. And, and this is what it looks like when the grace of God comes into our life that it, it removes our thirst. It, it satiates our desires. Jesus meets us in that. It preserves our life. We receive the grace of God. It preserves us. It cleanses us. It washes us. It softens. It, it makes our hearts pliable. It softens us to areas of our life that, that we have been hardened. It puts out fires. The temptations and lust of our lives like knowing the grace of God poured in, it, it puts those out. It, it creates springs, it produces fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These would be evident in your life. So here, here's the question. Have you tasted the water of grace that flows from Jesus? Because that's what it produces, if, if we've truly taken from this well, if we've drank from this well, if we've, we've received this gift that he's come to offer us, then it, it would do that. It would remove thirst. It would preserve life. It would purge filth. It would quench fire. It would produce fruit. Have you received it? Have you received it? And again, just to, to point our life, like, it's ever flowing. It's never ending. It's not stagnant. I, uh, I was given the responsibility. My wife was sick this past week. And so I was given the responsibility to do homeschool, which uh, for me meant having my kids read a few books and watch Bear Grylls for survival skills, okay? And on a particular episode uh, that we watched, uh, he was actually doing a journey across Canyonlands in Escalante, Utah, and he came across a stagnant pool of water, like just a cavern that was kind of cut out, and, and he began to scoop up water. And it had clumps in it and dirt, and it was brown and everything else. And he began to demonstrate how you could filter this water through your undergarments, okay? And then, so he did so. He filtered this water through his undergarments and uh, then boiled the water and, and then drank it. And what I want you to hear in this is this, is, is going, I don't think any of us start life and go, you know what, that, that sounds great. I think I'll, I'll have a cup of that this afternoon, right? And that passage in Jeremiah takes us back to this thing of going like, that's what many of us have settled for in life that we're just like, we're satisfied with underwear water, right? And, it, and it's, it's a picture and, and that's where we, we've become satisfied with that. We, we, we look at that as acceptable when Jesus offers us so much more. And it's water that actually brings about life. And that's what Jesus comes to give. She says, are you greater than Jacob? And he's like, I'm going to turn over the stagnant ponds of religion and irreligion. He comes in over and over and over again in this. And he's like, we're not going to need that anymore. He comes to those ceremonial cleansing pots in John chapter one. He's like, hey, we're not going to need those anymore. Let's fill them with wine. Hey, the temple, like I'm going to flip up. We're not going to need that anymore. The sacrifices, we're not going to need that anymore. These wells of water, 
We're not gonna need that anymore. He's gonna get to it in this next week, like these mountains of worship. Hey, we're not gonna need that anymore. You don't have to keep going to the stagnant pools of religion and irreligion. I've come to bring life. And that's what's offered to you this morning. I'm gonna invite uh, our worship team to come up as we kind of move into our response time this morning. Charles Spurgeon has a, an illustration where he says a sailor came to cash in his pay notes, basically money that was owed to him. And he comes in and he, he comes to the bank and he, he delivers those pay notes. And he, he basically looked at what he had and was like, man, this is a large sum of money. And probably the bank isn't going to be able to supply this. And so he's like, hey, Mr. Bank, guy, manager, um, you know, 50 pounds is a lot to be able to provide me, you know, in one shot. So if you need, if you need me to come back, I can come back, you know, another time and get the rest. And he says in this, you can imagine uh, how the bank manager smiled at the simplicity of the man who thought he might break the bank by drawing out such an enormous sum of money as 50 pounds all at once. But how many of us treat Jesus in a similar fashion? His well is a wellspring. It doesn't run out. Which means no matter where you are in life, we don't have to come and go, hey, I just need you to meet this. Because if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it was that offered, you would ask You would ask for 50 pounds. You'd ask for 100 pounds. You would ask for 3,000 pounds. You'd ask for a million pounds. And you wouldn't have to do that thinking like, oh, can he meet it? Are Are you greater than our father? Yes, he's greater than our father, Jacob. He's the son of God. Everything that was built into creation is through his hands. Nothing that came into existence that he wasn't part of. There's nothing he cannot meet. Church, whatever it is that you're walking in this morning, I hope you see the depth of the well of Jesus. That you would see the gift that he offers and that you would see him for who he truly is. Maybe you start out and maybe today you see him as sir, you see him as teacher, but I pray that you would begin to move to a place where you see him as savior, where you see him as Christ, where you see him as Messiah, where you see him as savior of the world. That's who he is. And his well can never run dry. His well will always satisfy. His well will always cleanse. It will never go empty. And so as we we close, I wanna move us to a a place where we get to celebrate this through communion together and in our time of response. There are two things that Jesus commanded the church to participate in. The Christian church that that we've regularly practiced as a church for over 2000 years. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the outward symbol of the inward heart change going public with your faith and declaring that you are indeed a part of the family of God. And we celebrate baptism here at Church of the Valley a few times a year together. And when we do, we're reminded of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. As new followers of Jesus go under the water and they're raised again, it's a picture of that new life rising in Christ and be given newness of life. But then after we're baptized and we're in the family of God, we regularly participate as a church together in the Lord's Supper and communion as we call it. And this is an ongoing sign of that continued commitment to follow Jesus. It's like a regular renewal of baptism that every week we come together and we're reminded of a couple things when we gather as a church. We're reminded first of all that Christ died, his body was broken. We remember together what he has done for us in Christ and we proclaim his death until he comes. We're reminded that Christ is risen, that he's alive, he's no longer in the grave. And we're reminded that by the power of his Holy Spirit, what he's doing for us. 
And we're reminded that Christ is one day coming again. And that's what we proclaim, that we won't drink of it. You know, he said he won't drink of this cup again until he comes and he's with us. He's present. He's coming for us again. He's returning for his bride, the church. And so the Lord's Supper consists of two elements, the bread and the cup. And as we take of it, we are reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we see in these two elements, the broken body of Jesus and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So I wanna go ahead and, and call and invite our communion servers and prayer team. We're gonna take communion uh, just from our front tables this morning. And so we have some people positioning as we kind of move into our time of response this morning. And uh, at each of these tables, uh, we have people that are wearing blue lanyards that are positioned to pray for you. Uh, to encourage you, uh, to walk alongside you. If you have something to celebrate that you would want to give God thanks for, if you have needs that, that you're saying, I, I know the gift of God and I know who it is that gives it, and so I want to come and ask and make this request, this would be a great opportunity to do so. But also, if you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I've never taken from this wellspring of life, we think about those things that water does. That's the very things that grace does as it flows into our life. Have you received the grace of Jesus, the gift of Jesus? Have you allowed him to cleanse you? Have you allowed him to produce fruit in you? And if those things aren't evident this morning, I would encourage you, be born again. Come and ask of him. Ask of him, give me this grace. Give me this water. So if you're following Jesus for the first time today or if you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior and want to take next step towards baptism as a public profession of your faith, um, you've had a changed heart, I would just encourage you to come and talk to our prayer team. If you're coming today and you would say, I want to follow Jesus, come and talk to our prayer team. They're equipped and ready to respond with you and they'll celebrate with you even this morning. I want to pray for us and then I'm inviting all of us to respond this morning whether that's through prayer, through receiving of communion, um, receiving of and, and remembering the broken body of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may all who participate together this morning in this sacred ordinance be blessed by an overwhelming sense of your grace to save us. May we feel your presence with us in this moment and may our hope be revived that you are coming soon for your people. Amen and amen. The tables are now open. Our prayer team is ready to respond and pray with you. Come to the tables.